Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we find out a bit about Sweden as a destination for African players as we speak to Kenya international Eric Johanna, who's been playing in Sweden since 2017. Johanna helped Kenya to their first Africa Cup of Nations in 15 years, and he tells us what it's like playing club football in Sweden. The weather, it's always hot here in Kenya, and uh, in Sweden it's a, a lot uh, different, especially in the winter time. It's, uh, it's crazy and a very difficult place to live. Also, Stuart highlights a few important changes that could be made to the laws of the game, including handball. The proposed law change would mean that free kicks would now be awarded if the ball goes into the net off an attacker's hand or arm, even if it's totally accidental. Yeah, interesting that, and uh, more details coming up from Stuart later on. But let's start with the 2018-2019 CAF Champions League, with the third round of group stage matches coming up next weekend. Defending champions Esperance of Tunisia beat Zimbabwe's FC Platinum 2-0 to sit on top of Group B, while in Group A, the 2017 champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco lost 2-1 away to Sundowns of South Africa, with Ivory Coast Asek Mimosas getting their campaign back on track track with a win over Lobby Stars of Nigeria. In Group C, there was a shock result as Constantine of Algeria in the group stage for the first time won 3-0 at home against five-time champions TP Mazembe of DR Congo. Wow, Solomon, you just don't do that to a TP Mazembe, do you? Well, Steve, I definitely don't remember the last time uh, TP Mazembe who are former champions and who have dominated African Champions League and also the local league in Congo. Uh, you know, I don't remember the last time they got whitewashed this way. And I think they deserve it. But first, we have to look at the background of uh, CS Constantine himself. You know, in the 2017-2018 season, they won the league in, their, in only their second time in their history. The last time they, uh, and the only time they had won the league was the 1996-97 and 97 season. So they qualified by virtue of that to play in the CAF, uh, you know, Champions League. And just as recent as the 2010-2011 season, they were playing in the Algerian second division. Believe it or not. But Tipi Mazembe never ruled them out. A great club, great history, you know, great crop of players from across the African continent. Uh, intimidating fans back in Lumumbashi, uh, you know, when they play at home. They have the experience, uh, you know, they have the technical side of things also. Uh, they're definitely going to bounce back. Yes, there's still a long way to go in the group stage, of course, with uh, four matches still to come. Uh, in Group D, Simba of Tanzania were brought down to earth after winning their first game 3-0 over Algeria's JS Saora. They were clobbered 5-0 away to AS Vita of DR Congo. Eight-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt were held to a 1-1 draw away to JS Saora. Uh, so it's only Constantine with two wins from two games. All the other teams have dropped points, so this looks like a very competitive edition of the Champions League, Solomon. 
it is going to be uh, really tight generally. So what are we going to see? Are we going to see a super finish? Where are we going to see, uh, you know, the traditional clubs uh, towards the end of the of this league phase coming out strong and and collecting points and using their experiences? You want to be able to see some sort of a photo finish at the end of it. You want to also be able to see, uh, you know, unknown club sides. So club sides that are not traditionally. Uh, the African Champions League favorites coming in and, and, and doing well and getting the points and, and, and be able to go into the semi-final at least. That's what you want to see and that definitely shows that how much African football is improving and where club sides are, are really investing in, 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 the, in themselves. So it's definitely going to be great games. So difficult to predict who might be the CAF Champions League winners this time around. The Confederation Cup draw has been made. This is the second tier competition and it's all about the derbies that stand out. All three Moroccan teams are in the same group. That's the holders Raja Casablanca, Renaissance Burkhan and Hassania Agadir. They're in Group A. In Group B there's two Tunisian teams, Etoile du Sahel and CS Sfaxian. And in Group C, two Zambian clubs, that's Ankana and Zesco United. They're there, along with Al-Hilal of Sudan and Ghana's Asante Kotoko. These opening group games in the Confederation Cup kick off next weekend. We're now to our interview with Kenya international Eric Johanna. Johanna helped Kenya to their first Africa Cup of Nations in 15 years, as they'll be playing at this year's finals in Egypt. He's been playing in Sweden since 2017, when he joined second-tier club Vasalunds from Mathari United. Five goals in 22 appearances led to a switch to top-flight Bromma Poikana for the 2018 season. The midfielder produced two goals and two assists, but not enough as the club suffered relegation. Well, when Johanna was in Nairobi recently, the 24-year-old who has four goals in 23 appearances for Kenya's Harambe Stars spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Ida Waringa first about life in Sweden. Uh, moving to the Swedish top flight uh, football uh, has been an amazing challenge for me and uh, it's something that uh, I, I really worked hard for. And uh, finally I got promoted to the Swedish uh, league from uh, Vasalund to Bromma Boykana, Sweden. And you know it's said that East Africans sometimes we take uh, a bit of time to adjust to cold weather. So how has it been for you getting used to the cold, to the food there? How different is it? It's so much different from uh, from uh, what I'm used to back uh, at home uh, with mama's food and uh, uh, with food and the weather. It's always hot here in Kenya and uh, uh, in Sweden, it's a, a lot uh, different, especially in the winter time. It's a, it's crazy and a very difficult place to live. But I've been in Sweden now for the second year. This is, this will be my third year now, and uh, I'm kind of getting used to the weather. Uh, and uh, I would say that it's normal for me, but uh, it's difficult. But uh, you have to adjust because you're you're only chasing your dream. Indeed, and yeah. unfortunately, uh, Broma was relegated at yeah. the end of last season. Mm. Uh, soon after that, uh, fellow Kenyan and good friend to you, David yeah. Chechio Ching, his contract yeah. was terminated. Yeah. So is your future still in Sweden? We endured a very difficult season because uh, uh, we, uh, at some point we had to change the coach. And when the coach left, uh, it was difficult. It was a crazy moment for all of us. So it was something new. A new coach came with a new philosophy. He wanted to change everything. And uh, somehow it affected some of us. And um, 
we were uh, we were not getting good results. Uh, so the more the games we were playing and we were losing, and it was becoming more difficult to for us to stay. And uh, with my friend and my brother Cheche, uh, we've been with him for a year. Uh, before then, uh, we were teammates in the national team, and uh, he's like a, a, a big brother to me. And he has really helped me a lot uh, through her difficult times that uh, he was always there for me. And uh, I was always there for him also. And now he lives Sweden now, but uh, I know he's going to get a good club. And uh, for now, I'm contracted to Brown Boykana, and uh, I'm going to stay in the club. Fantastic. Yeah. And you've made your mark in Europe. You're mm -hmm. now there. Any other leagues that you would aspire to play in? Yeah, of course, the, I like the Belgium League more. I like the English Premier League where Victor plays. Uh, I like to I like to compete. I like to go. I wanna go to these leagues that um, people are competing for position. I wanna make a, a mark in Africa. I wanna be seen as someone who did something for both my country and the club level. Kenya Harambe stars qualified for their first ever Afghan in 15 years. Mm. You're a part of the squad. Tell mm. us about that feeling. Uh, this is something that until today. I, I can't find words to explain how I feel about I still don't believe that it's true that uh, we are going to the AFCON, that uh, we have to play last game, but the last game doesn't matter if we win or we lose, that we are still going to AFCON. It's been an amazing journey, amazing, uh, full of ups and downs that uh, we've experienced uh, as, a, as a group, as everybody. We had previous coach Stanley, who did very well, but uh, luck wasn't on his side, but he was a good coach. Uh, I've worked with him, I know him very well. But luck wasn't with him in the national team. But uh, then we have Sebastian Mino, who is really a top coach and uh, a really good guy, a father figure to all of the all of the players. So he's been supportive and everything. And uh, we've incurred challenges, so many challenges in the national team. But we kept ourselves going because we only knew that this chance only comes once in a lifetime. So we either take it or we complain or we take it. So we chose to take it and. Now we are going to Afcon, and this is something that we are really looking forward to. And uh, speaking of inspiration, we mm. have a look at your social media pages. Mm. You're always mentioning, you know, God is great, God mm. above all. Mm. Tell us about the role that faith plays in your life. Uh, it's all it's it's all God's doing. Uh, the strength that you get to go to play the game, to before the game you have to pray. You all you you have to turn to God for everything. It's not easy for you to live uh, in a country like uh, Sweden alone. You have to, without your family, you are, you are away from your family. You have to pray, you have to believe always that God can give you strength to push every day, that to come, every day challenges come. But it's only God who gives you strength to do these things that you can, yeah. Any favorite Bible verse? Yeah, it's uh, John 3.16. Yeah. What does it say? Tell us, for uh, those who don't know. For God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's Kenya international midfielder Eric Johanna speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Ida Waringa, uh, speaking on his football and his faith. Kenya play Ghana in their final 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifier in March, but win, lose or draw, they've already booked their place at the finals in Egypt. So Johanna playing in Sweden and recently here on Planet Sport Football Africa, Stuart took a look at the African representation in various European countries. Uh, so Stuart, what's a Sweden like as a destination? Well, Steve, as we noted in my previous series, in Scandinavia, right at the north of Europe, there are a lot of Africans with 33 in Norway and 17 
in Sweden and 28 in Finland. And in Sweden, it seems to be mainly Nigerian. So interesting to hear Eric's perspectives. Now, as he said, he's been there for two years. Firstly, one season with the Vasselund and then with a pretty unpronounceable Broma Potsikama or something like that, where he played last season 26 times, scoring two goals. Interesting to hear him talk about the cold weather. Sweden has very cold winters to the extent that the football season runs from February to November, right through the summer. And in the interview, we heard him say that his team is relegated. And that means that they will start in the Supratan, the second of the four divisions, when the season starts next month. And incidentally, the divisions are really slightly confusing because the top division is called the Allsvenskan, or All Swedish, followed by the Supratan. And then the two leagues below that are called Division One. Division 1 North and Division 1 South. I'm sure they have a reason for all that. Sweden is a very large country, 1,500 kilometres from north to south, but with a very small population, just 10 million people. So you can experience driving along even major roads without seeing a house for kilometre after kilometre. In terms of where they sit in world football, the national team is quite good, ranked 16th in the world, reached the quarterfinal of the World Cup in Russia. They hosted the World Cup in 1958 and reached the final, and in 94 they reached the semi-final. But apart from that, to be fair, they generally go out in the group or the last 16. But as far as club football is concerned, it's a bit lower. They're ranked 22 in Europe based on club performances, and while IFK reached the quarterfinal of the Champions League in 1995. Since then, no Swedish club has got out of the group stage. So not one of the strongest leagues. Interesting again to hear Eric talk about Belgium as a possible destination, because again, we noted that Belgium, not the highest in standard, but quite a rich country. So good salaries paid to players and a lot of Africans are thriving there. Finally, just in terms of Swedish players that people would have heard of, obviously, Slatan Ibrahimovic is probably the greatest ever Swedish player. Also, Heinrich Larsson, Fred Junberg, who played for Arsenal for several years, and Victor Lindelof playing for Manchester United. So I think it's an interesting place for him to go and good to see him making a success of it. Informative stuff. Uh, thanks, Stuart. And we'll see what lies ahead for Kenya's Eric Johanna. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen on the show on our new look website, planetsport.tv. And our other shows are there. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with sports stars including Cameroon's Collins Fai and Brazil legend Kaká. Uh, plus, there's pictures and profiles of the team in the About Us section. That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. And now we turn to social media, and last week we heard Nigeria striker Odion Igalo talk about the death threats he received aimed at his family after the Super Eagles went out at the group stage of the 2018 World Cup. The former Liverpool manager Bill Shankly once said, Some people believe football is a matter of life and death, but I can assure you that it's much more important than that. 
Well, our favourite club or our national team can represent our identities, our philosophies, our beliefs. But football is supposed to be a game that we enjoy and a sport that brings people together. So we asked, do we sometimes take football too seriously? On Facebook first and in the Gambia, Moses Al-Hakim says, yes, we should take football seriously, but not to the point of threatening people's lives. We need to acknowledge in football that there'll be one winner and one loser, says Moses. All well, end well, Samuel Uzoigwe in Nigeria agrees, saying, I take football seriously, but not to partake with violence, says Allwell. And Benja Turngu Igba Wua, also in Nigeria, agrees, saying, yes, we should take football seriously, but not to the level of threatening people's lives. On WhatsApp, Ephrathar Kamanga in Malawi says football is a good game that needs special attention and respect. So we need to be able to accept defeat well, says Ephrathar. Alaji Manga in the Gambia agrees, saying, I think sometimes we misjudge it. Football is a nice game, says Alaji. I think we should enjoy it rather than causing violence and harassment. Football is all about winning and losing, but regardless of whether our team won or lost, we shouldn't be too serious about it. Mustafa Touray, also in the Gambia, says, Absolutely, we do take football too seriously, especially when our emotions get out of control. We tend to do things that are unpleasant, like the Kenyan Arsenal fan who committed suicide when his team lost. Football should be a game that we should all enjoy together, both the good and the bad times, says Mustafa. We shouldn't single out the players and make threats. Bakari Jatta, also in the Gambia, agrees, saying, I'd say yes, sometimes we do take it too seriously. Just recently, at the famous San Siro Stadium in Italy, a man died because of fans' violence at a match between Napoli and Inter Milan, says Bakari. To Kenya now, and Odipo Morris says, yes, we definitely take football too seriously, and gambling makes it worse. Yeah, good point there, Odipo. Uh, Lamin Bakari Sanya in the Gambia says, yes, it is serious sometimes, but it's not a matter of life and death. It's not worth sacrificing your own life for it, says Lamin. Mohamed Chamakka is in Sierra Leone. Uh, yes, let's treat football with all seriousness, says Mohamed, because everything I personally love and spend my time and money on, I take very seriously. But above all, there's no need for death threats on footballers, says Mohamed. Barang Sane in the Gambia feels the game's administrators and officials share the responsibility for ensuring that the game is enjoyed by all. Football is the biggest sport in my country, says Barang, but really it's not taken seriously because referees bring violence into the game due to their bias. Also, poor administrators are causing low performance and that kills people's interest in the game. I really agree with you that football brings joy and friendship, but it's the opposite in my country and very demoralising for the young ones here with talent. Thanks for those views, Burang. Alhaji Manga in the Gambia agrees that we sometimes take football too seriously, but doesn't think that that's necessarily a problem. Why not, says Alhaji. The days that football was played for the sake of fun and enjoyment are now gone, simply because the game has grown into a lucrative business. The owners of clubs will splash $100 million for a single player these days, and that'll put pressure on that player and his family because the club's fans will be expecting much more from him, and he alone can't do it. Yep, certainly, Alhaji, that uh, big business element uh, is a big part of the game now. Uh, in Malawi, James Wallace Jr. says, 
actually everywhere in the world people fail to understand what life is all about. When I spend time with other people, they always expect life to be all positive. But sometimes we need to accept that some things will be negative. It's the same in the football world. How can all teams always win? That's impossible. So when our team fails, let's accept and wish the winners well, says James. Malawi has never even won the Kasafa Cup, that's the Southern African Championship, but we don't kill our players or anyone attached to the team. Football should be taken seriously, but we should accept that our team won't always win, says James. Uh, from Ricky and Gulube in Zambia, Ricky says, Here in Zambia, we once had one of our players, Alex Ngonga, having his mother's house burnt down because some fans were asking, How can her son miss several scoring chances? And the fans put the blame on Ngonga for Zambia's loss in a World Cup qualifier against Nigeria. I love the game, but not the war part of it, says Ricky. I remember the kind of unity which was exhibited when Zambia won the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time back in 2012. It was awesome, and as a Manchester United fan, I love it when we win, says Ricky. And finally, Musa Cham in the Gambia says football, like any other sport, should be a game of fun, but it's now deviating from that in a way which is hard to explain. Perhaps it's because of the financial aspect now or something else, but I believe it is being taken too seriously, says Musa. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. Uh, always great to hear from you, and thanks for those insights uh, in those different countries. Uh, this week on social media, we're asking how important is the FA Cup? The English FA Cup uh, reaches the fourth round this weekend. Uh, league leaders Liverpool already out, having fielded a second-string side in their third-round loss to Wolves. Uh, some say this is an advantage for Liverpool now, as they can focus on the Premier League and Champions League campaigns. Uh, the FA Cup was first played in 1871. It's got a great history and has been considered a very prestigious tournament. But uh, how important do you think the FA Cup is now compared to other competitions? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. How important is the FA Cup these days. So no English Premier League this weekend. As I say, it's the fourth round of the FA Cup and a few of the standout fixtures on Friday night. It's Arsenal-Manchester United. On Saturday, Manchester City take on Burnley in another all-Premier League fixture. Chelsea take on Sheffield Wednesday on Sunday. Sheffield Wednesday are 16th in the Championship and also on Sunday, Crystal Palace will host Tottenham. Uh, so uh, those fourth round matches in the FA Cup. Lots of shocks in the third round. We'll see if there'll be upsets uh, in the fourth round as well. Well, Stuart, we are still with us uh, in the UK. Uh, now let's talk about the global game as a few important changes could be made to the laws of the game, Stuart. Well, Steve, the International Football Association Board, the IFAB, which monitors the laws of the game, is looking at making some interesting changes when it meets in March. And the most significant of that will be to clarify what constitutes handball, and particularly the situation when handball is accidental, but results in an advantage to the player who's handled it. The proposed law change would mean that free kicks would now be awarded if the ball goes into the net off an attacker's hand or arm, even if it's totally accidental and simply hits him. And not only goes into the net, 
but it creates a goal-scoring opportunity for a teammate. It was in 1938 that FIFA revised the laws of the game to state that handballs would only be penalised if they were intentional. In 1997, the wording was changed from intentional to deliberate. Now, there is some evidence that referees have preempted this potential law change and are already disallowing goals scored when the ball comes off an arm, even if it's accidental. But I understand that there's no plan to change the situation where a defender is inadvertently struck by the ball on the arm, although it is being suggested that if a defender's hand is above his shoulders, that should be deemed to be deliberate. David Ellery, the IFAB technical director and former top referee in England, said we're not getting rid of the word deliberate because we don't want to move to a situation like in hockey where the ball hits a player's foot, whether it's intentional or not, the player is penalised. But what we want to do is to clarify handball, but not going to the extreme that every contact with the hand must be a free kick or that would ruin football. Arguably, though, this is the biggest change to the law since the 1930s. And there are eight members off the board and six of them must support any proposal for it to be accepted. Other changes that we understand that they're looking at are that substitutes will leave the field at the nearest point to the touchline rather than wasting time going all the way across. The ball will no longer have to go out of the penalty area when a goal kick is taken. And goalkeepers will be required only to have one foot on the goal line when facing a penalty. And there's also a fascinating but unspecified measures to prevent attackers disrupting a defensive wall. So I guess that might mean that the players of the attacking team are not being in the wall. Uh, we'll see. And very interesting, those possible changes to the handball laws. Uh, I'd say that does make a lot of sense and uh, uh, might to clear up a, a lot of confusion over interpretation of some of these situations. Now, last year, we talked about a lot about the video assistant referee, the VAR or VAR, which was used at the FIFA World Cup in Russia last year. And it's being used in some of the top European leagues and will be in English Premier League matches next season. There are, though, still some differences of opinion as to the benefits of the VAR and a few controversies in cup games of late. In the semi-final of the League Cup between Tottenham and Chelsea, the incident leading up to the Tottenham goal was referred to VAR, which ruled that Harry Kane was onside and the goal stood. But next day, Chelsea released a photograph taken from a different angle which seemed to show that Kane was offside. And that illustrated the point that unless the camera used by VAR is absolutely in line with play, it isn't accurate. The other incident was when a goal for Derby County against Southampton in the FA Cup was allowed by the assistant referee but deemed to be offside by the VAR by a tiny margin. While the decision was technically correct, it was not a clear and obvious error and that raised the question whether it should have been overruled. Both decisions also seemed to take far too long to be decided, You know, going back to what we said about VAR in the past. And interestingly, when VAR is introduced next season in the Premier League, it is likely that the incident will be shown on the big screen so that those in the stadium see exactly what the VAR sees. I think this is an excellent move to make the crowd more involved. Steve, I also have some data on how VAR is being used in other leagues in Europe. In Serie A, for example, the first season 
of VAR was 2017-2018, and it's generally been viewed uh, as successful. And the official statistics for that first season show that there were 2,023 incidents checked by VAR and 117 decisions were changed. This has been interpreted to say that with VAR, there's less than a 1% error, but before VAR, there was a 6% error by referees. And the average time taken to make a VAR decision was 31 seconds, which some people would think is good, others might think was too long. Now, the perception in Germany is quite mixed, I'm told, verging on the negative. And this may be because the Germans like to see things quite black and white and hope that it would clear up everything. And they've also had it for two seasons and are frustrated that not all penalty incidents, handballs and offsides are actually being solved by VAR. But, well, anyone could have told them that. And finally, in Spain's La Liga, VAR has been in place only for this season. And generally speaking, it's popular. The problem seems to be that referees are still getting used to know when to use VAR and when not to. And there have been a couple of controversial incidents when penalty incidents were not referred to VAR when fans thought they might have been. But I think all over the world, we're still improving VAR and learning how to use it. Yeah, sure, this technology is a growing part of the game and we'll see to what extent it comes to Africa in the coming years. Thanks, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. But on social media, we're asking how important is the English FA Cup? It's been a very prestigious tournament over the years, first played in 1871. But uh, now, how important would you say the FA Cup is compared to other competitions? You can post a message on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production. <laughs>